You're listening to Flaunt, Find Your Sparkle and Create a Life You Love After Infidelity or Betrayal. Have you been betrayed by life, your body, or someone that you love? You're not alone. No matter what you've been through, Naked Self-Worth helps you regain confidence, joy, and enthusiasm so you can create a life you love and flourish. Tune in weekly and learn how. Hello, welcome to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal. Today, we have got a pretty incredible relationship expert as our guest. And not only is she a relationship expert, she is also a New York Times best-selling author. Her name is Laura Doyle, and it's my guess that you've probably heard of her already. But if you haven't, definitely check her out because her methodology, her way of inspiring you to step into empowerment with regards to relationships is definitely unique. But let me tell you, it is also very powerful and simple. So with that, welcome to the show, Laura. I'm so excited to share everything with my audience. Thanks for having me, Laura. What a great introduction. Wonderful. Okay. Let's talk about being an empowered woman, being an empowered wife, and what makes your methodology different than a lot of the stuff that we so typically hear? Yeah. Well, I was, um, I, I used to be the perfect wife and then I got married. Right. So then after that, there were some problems and I just remember maybe, um, like six, seven years in thinking like, what happened? He was so wonderful when I married him and so smart and handsome and funny and talented. And, and then six or seven years in, first of all, he didn't really want to have much to do with me. He was really distant watching a lot of TV And, um, so I would just tell him, you know, like, this is what we need to do. You know, you need to like, start making more of an effort to pay attention to me. And I remember going in with my arms akimbo and saying, you know, the average couple has sex two and a half times per week, and we haven't done it for like two weeks. So I think we should do it. And that just was like, not working. I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're kind of smiling, laughing now. It's like, you know why? And I I know why not too, but at the time I really seemed like, um, and, and then I would read from, you know, an expert. It's like, you need to tell him that you have a grave concern about his um, lack of affection or something, right? You know, so I would do that. And I mean, it just sent him scurrying for the hills. Like he would leave, you know, like skid marks in the driveway trying to get away. So I thought, well, something's definitely wrong with him because it's definitely not me. So let's go to marriage counseling. Well, the marriage counselor uh, will fix him. Then I can finally be happy. But um of course that didn't happen either. In fact, uh, we went for over a year. I spent $9,000 and this was like over 20 years ago. So it was some money back then, you know? And, um, I remember sitting on her couch and realizing like, he is never going to change. This is hopeless. I have to get divorced or else I'm going to spend the rest of my life in a loveless relationship. Those were the options I saw for myself. So I decided I would get divorced and, um, there was just one problem. And that was that I was too embarrassed to go through with it because I felt like it was a loss of status, right? I was too proud. People had been to the wedding, like not that many years before. And so I didn't want to do that. So, um, I asked women as a a desperate measure. I'm like, I'll ask these women that have happy marriages, like what their secrets are. And they said things that just astonished me. They didn't make sense. I remember saying like, have you got anything else, you know, like, or I thought they were going to say, you know, you got to pick the right guy. And they, they totally didn't say that. And, um, I thought, well, I'm going to experiment with some of these crazy ideas that they suggested. And when I did, um, I remember it was not even that long after I had started that experiment that I walked through the door and we'd been having like wall to wall hostility. We we're just fighting nonstop or cold wars, no talking at all. Mm-hmm. And I walked through the door and my husband's face lit up because he was happy to see me again. Isn't that something? It was, yeah. I was like, oh, I'm on to something here. And uh, I thought, well, this is really exciting because now I'm going to be able to have the kind of marriage I've always wanted to have. I wanted a really great marriage so bad. And 
So I got very excited. I thought we're not going to have those big fights in the car anymore. Like we do. And, um, cause I know what to do now. So that was great. But then uh, a couple, not, not very long after that, uh, we had a big fight in the car again. <laughs> and I was saying horrible things and he was saying horrible things. And I would be always going to regret it, but I didn't really know, um, how to implement the new stuff. It, it wasn't that hard. It was just, it was new. So I had the idea, like, I'm going to recruit some of my friends to do this with me that are complaining about their husbands too. And then, um, maybe that'll help me like, you know, do this better. And that worked. We got a little support community. There was like five of us. We'd meet at my house and they were reporting miracles and, uh, in their marriages. And, uh, anyway, I, I, I was finally getting the kind of marriage I'd always wanted. And, and one of them said, can you write down what we're doing for my cousin in Florida? She wants to do it too. And I was like, sure I can. And that became my first book. And it ended up being a New York times bestseller. It was published in 30 countries and 19 languages. It was just my own experience um, that seemed to resonate with everybody. Yeah. And isn't that how often what's so true that it's just your own experience. It doesn't take an expert. It just takes human beings living and figuring it out and experimenting and talking to other people. And I really love how you talk about that support and having the support of other women doing it too, because no, it's not hard, but old habits die hard. They do. Yeah. They do. And to I this think- day, like 20 years later, I still feel like I really, because now I have about 70 coaches and I just totally depend on them to keep my marriage shiny. Like if I am not in the conversation, I still, I still go back to, I'll still like, feel like an old thought kind of, you know, cross my head and want to act on that, but it doesn't serve me. No, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. Now I want to break this down a tiny bit because you talked about just having a dissatisfying marriage, you know? Oh, yeah. 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 Cold wars, things uh-huh. like that. Most yeah. of the listeners here, um, no, all of the listeners are, have dealt with some sort of infidelity or betrayal. Yes. And it's interesting because I just want to break this down. You can look back on your marriage and I want to be clear that there is nothing that we did that ever caused that. Even Never. if we were doing all the wrong things that didn't cause that. No. Heck, and, heck no. Yeah. yeah. And if our partner is really willing to look inward and to change, it's fantastic if we want to too. And then we can implement these, some of these things. And if we've already decided, uh-uh, that was a no-go for me, but now I want to move forward into a different relationship. How wonderful and refreshing to use these tips and these tricks in a brand new relationship to just start it off right. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I get so envious when I, like I'll have young brides, like we've been married for a year and she gets the intimacy skills and uses them right away. I'm like, good for you. Like I wish uh, I had started out that way. Um, but you know, what's been astonishing and what, uh, and kind of embarrassing, pretty embarrassing actually, is that in my first book, I wrote this whole thing about how, um, if you were married to someone who was chronically unfaithful, that that was probably like, you should just, you know, that's, that was maybe never going to improve. That wasn't going to change. And, and maybe you should think about ending that relationship and getting into a new one. And then I ended up having to write a mea culpa about that, um, like much more, like maybe, I don't know, probably eight or or nine years ago now, because so many women um, uh, heard about this work um, and they were not going to leave for whatever reason, right? Everyone's got their reasons. It might be, Hey, we have five kids. Like this is seven lives here. And I'm not, I'm not, or I don't, I don't want to have to go back to work. I'm a stay at home mom or, or, um, or just, you know what, in my heart, I just still love him, even though there's been these betrayals or, or there were women who said, I'm the one who uh, went outside the marriage. You know, I was just so desperate for, um, I mean, it just feels like a tall glass of water in the desert when you're not getting attention at home and you don't know why. And somebody gives you that, like, it's a, like a need that we all have. Right. So it's not like, it doesn't necessarily make you a bad person, right. That this yes. happens. It's not something that's unrecoverable. In fact, so now, um, and I'm, I'm in a a place where I get the honor of watching so many thousands of tens of thousands of women now have fixed their relationships, even from infidelity, even from 
he's moved out. He has another woman. He said it's over. He's filing for divorce. He wants to be with her. And they, you know, they use the connection framework and the intimacy skills. They get it all back. He comes back. He apologizes. It's like miraculous. I interview him on my podcast because you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe it if I told you, right? And it, yeah. and I think people get like, oh my gosh, you mean you recommend women stay in in that situation? And and, and the truth is like, you know, every woman is the expert on her own life. Like I'm the expert on my own life. You're the expert. I don't know what's best for you, but I have this experience that I can share of what's worked with, you know, for me. And, and I have these 70 coaches and they can share what's worked for them. And we have some very uh, specific, uh, I call them cheat phrases that we use and specific actions that we take in certain situations that are just enormously empowering. And uh, so that's, that's, what's exciting to me is like, so I had to write this Mia Culpa, like, you know what? I was bossy. I was like a know-it-all saying <laughs> you should leave if he's cheated uh, or, you know, or if it feels like it's too late, it, you know, my experience now uh, I've seen so many miracles, like to paraphrase Thomas Wolf, miracles not only happen around here, they happen all the time. Uh, I can't doubt that your marriage can also be salvaged and actually not, not that you would suck it up and just put on, put up with cheating, but mm -hmm. that you would create a marriage that's so amazing and vibrant, uh, and shiny and wonderful that, um, that issue goes away. Yeah. Yeah. So well said, because that's exactly it. When two people are unhappy in a relationship, People do desperate things. They do. Right. Yeah. It does mere mortal people. Yeah. It's not bad. It's not good. It's just very unfortunate. Yes. So, yeah. I'd like to hear more about this connection framework because, you know, like, like you said, whether you're going to work it out or maybe not work it out, if you still have to co-parent, you still have to connect. <laughs> yes, you do. You do. That's true. It's not the end of the relationship, right? When you nope. divorce. And um, so, well, there's four pillars of the connection framework. And the first pillar um, is the six intimacy skills. And those were the things that I discovered and experimented with in my own relationship to um, that I started implementing. And I, I got, you know, that's when the man who would be returned, right. Instead yeah. of like wanting nothing to do with me, this man, like, you know, I'll be passing him in the hall and he like grabs me by the waist and it like kisses me. And so it's like that guy came back. Um, when I started using those six intimacy skills, and that's the first pillar. And that's what I wrote. Um, that's what I wrote in my book. It's all laid out in the empowered wife book. And honestly, Laura, when I finished writing that, I was like, oh, now my work is done. I'm going to put my feet on the desk right here because every woman can get these six intimacy skills. That's all she needs to transform her marriage. That will be enough. No, no, I was wrong. I was wrong. Okay. So <laughs> it was a good start. It was a fantastic start. And um, what happened was women would get the book and they would reach out and say this. I know this is what I want to, this is what I aspire to. I just really need some help implementing it. So we knew we needed community. I needed community, my own story, right? It was up and, yeah. and it was down until I got community and then it took an upward trend. So uh, they need wanted community. They wanted someone to help instruct them on how to implement it in their specific situation. So thus coaches. So I, I created a coach training school and I've trained all these coaches now. And then the fourth piece is they need an opportunity to pay it forward. So what we say, what we talk about on our campus is um, I'm on a mission to end world divorce, right? I suffered and it was needless. I just didn't have the right information. I didn't have the right support. And I don't ever want any woman to be in that situation. That's why I, I give out the six intimacy skills every chance I get. I just want every woman to have them. And then we are able to also provide this uh, other community. What we say is we're all there standing for each other's marriages. So you might, let's say uh, your husband goes outside the marriage, does something super inappropriate, hurtful, devastating, heartbreaking. You know, you might tell your mom about it or your sisters about it. You might tell your best friends about it or even a therapist about it. And what do they say? A lot of times it comes right back, you know, throw him out, leave that bomb, get out of that relationship, right? It's just very common. And if that is not what you're wanting, if that doesn't serve you that advice, then you need a place to go where uh, we're not, we're standing for her and we're standing for him. We're standing for their, her marriage. Uh, and so we have a whole community like that. And so that means that uh, by paying it forward, 
Uh, maybe you just got there and you're heartbreaking, broken and devastated. And you don't know the first thing about anything yet, but you know, you're in the right spot, but you can stand and, and encourage somebody else who says, I had a win today. You know, I was really tempted to let my husband have it. And instead I stayed dignified. You know, I, I kept my criticism to myself, or I decided to bring it here instead of hurting the intimacy uh, in my relationship. And, and that feels really good. And, wow. and you could just be like, you could just be standing by going, you know, good for you. And uh, I'm standing with you. Yes. And that's what I think is so fantastic about your work. And what I think listeners, you're all going to resonate with so much. Like she said earlier, you know, your marriage and you know, your situation the best. And I also know based on my husband's infidelity that it can work and it can be so much better than before. And the infidelity space is such a negative and toxic space. And while it's appropriate to get out some of your grief, get out some of that rage, process things, I also firmly believe that it's vitally important to stand in the positive, to stand in the learning, to support other people and to say, yes, this was devastatingly hard. And what am I going to do with it? So that's what I love about those intimacy skills. Let's learn those skills and see what we can do with them. If my husband is truly clinically a sociopath, <laughs> a psychopath, yeah. a narcissist. That's a different story. If he's abusing me and both of us don't want this, that's fine. Yeah. If what you want is to, um, is to separate divorce and move on. I totally trust uh, and certainly safety first, right? Safety yeah. always has to come first. If you're not safe, then, uh, you are the expert on your own life. But I've been astonished, Laura, I mean, and uh, humbled to see uh, I've had women where uh, I, I have a coach. I have two coaches. One coach had a restraining order against her husband and wow. they are reconciled and enjoying a beautiful marriage and family life again. Um, I have another one who ended up in the hospital from physical abuse. And she is a very passionate coach that, um, is super accountable about her. I mean, and, and as you said, no, it's not, it's never your fault. If someone cheats. It's never no. your fault. If someone is physically abusive, never, no. ever, ever, but she's very accountable and saying, you know, here's, here's what I did that, you know, my contribution, right. Yes. To this party. And it's super inspiring. I mean, she's super passionate about it. And, and, you know, she now talks about how he was scared of her too. He was scared of her. Uh, she was scared of him and he was scared of her. And then that brought, brought out the worst in them both. And uh, so they've been able to, so again, it's not about just sucking it up and putting yep. up with those unpleasant, not more than unpleasant, right? Those really devastating circumstances it is really about creating a whole new culture in your home where it is safe and, uh, and you feel desired and you feel special and you feel taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. I love that desired, special, taken care of. So what can you, will you share with us some of these intimacy skills? So listeners yes. can start oh, thinking about some, I mean, implementing. yeah, like I'm going to explode if you don't let me share that. Right. <laughs> don't explode. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's not, it's not attractive. Okay. So, all right. So, um, so the first one turned out to be, um, uh, well, I was, I know for me in my marriage, I was super unhappy. Right. And so I was, I was kind of also an unpleasant toothache of a person. I had a lot of complaints. Um, and I was very miserable. And one of the things I didn't realize is that one of my husband's goals in life, one of his biggest priorities is, um, to make his wife happy. And it's not just me. I've asked thousands of men, how important is it to you that your wife is happy? And they all say the same thing. They say, oh, it's everything, or it's the most important thing. And in the UK, they say it's imperative. So we know this is how men are wired to make us happy. And when I was chronically unhappy, he was failing at that job and he um, felt unsuccessful and that was painful. Mm -hmm. And then I was unhappy. So everybody's like, wah, wah, wah. So one of the first things that we invite our students to do, um, I, you know, certainly in the book and when they arrive on our campus is to do at least three things a day, just for frivolous fun, just to bring joy, just to make you smile, to make you laugh. 
so that you can become, uh, I call her the girl of fun and light, right? She's just, uh, she's laughing, smiling, dancing in the kitchen. She's singing and we are never hotter than when we are that girl of fun and light. And yes, you know, you're well over 12 and I'm calling you a girl, but I think every woman has that inner, just want to have fun girl in her. And that's who he fell in love with. That's who we were being at that time. And isn't that who you want to be again? Right. So, and it could be, it can be simple things. You know, I know for me, like even just going for a walk uh, can really, you know, listening to my favorite songs, but I also love to play volleyball. So every Saturday morning, you will find me on the beach playing beach volleyball because it just, you know, a little bit of sand right here, gleam in my eye. It just fills me up and makes me happy. So it's really kind of about that, just finding those things. And it's a lot of times it's about going back to what used to make you happy that maybe you've forgotten about because you were busy taking care of kids and a mortgage and you had a job and like everybody else came first and you forget what was it that made me delighted. But it turns out only happy people have happy relationships. Yes. Yeah. I had a student actually who had a great story about this where she was super unhappy in her marriage and her husband was flirting with a coworker and uh, told her she was a terrible mom and they had five kids. And uh, she just thought, I can't wait to get out of this marriage. And, but she had these five kids and she wasn't working. She's a stay home mom. So she, um, so she started taking this advice on board along with the other intimacy skills. And so she was uh, doing things to make herself happy. Cause she realized like she was waiting on him to make plans in case yeah. he wanted to be with her and the kids. And she said, I felt like a statue. Like I was just a statue just waiting to see. And then she get upset because he never planned what she wanted to do. So she was just, so she found a few things and she was taking herself to cafes and having a croissant and a cup of coffee. And she was, you know, what, doing stuff like that. And so one day she's listening to a podcast and she's folding the laundry and she's just been, just kind of enjoying herself. She's filled up and her husband comes over and he wants to talk to her. And she was thinking, right now I'm listening to my podcast. <laughs> like right. Was, right, but he, that made her the magnet, right? He wanted to be with her. Uh, and so she was like, and she was already like, you know, even if my marriage never got better, I've already won because mm-hmm. I'm already happy. I'm already have a new lease on life. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what I love about that too? It's, it's that whole attraction principle. What we put out comes back to us. And when we are putting out dissatisfaction, we get a whole heck of a lot of dissatisfaction and that's, yeah. And that's the whole grass is always greener too. It's greener where you water it and it all starts within water yourself, make yourself happy. It really does. And so for me, I needed like really specific instructions on this stuff, right? Because it's right. like, you've got to love yourself. I'm like, does that mean I should hug right. myself? What does that mean, right? So three things a day and you know you're doing it right if you start to feel ridiculously happy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. So again, so simple, yeah. but I can see why we need reminding too because don't we all just make that to-do list and say, well, I can't do that. I have Until to do laundry first. Yeah, first the laundry. Always, yeah. always laundry first. Right? And, and women I know are really, especially, I mean, I think we're great at getting our to-do lists done, but, and that's why I'm always like, well, where's the self-care? Well, you know, why don't you make an appointment? Like it's your hair appointment, right? You're going to let somebody down and yeah. that person is you. And sometimes it takes some doing to get, I had a student recently talk about, she would come home from her work and then the apartment's a mess or whatever. And she's like, I got to clean this apartment. And she just had to really sit herself down and say, how do I feel? What do I want? Like, I don't feel like cleaning this apartment right now. I feel like just chilling on the couch. And uh, it was really a big transition for her to get okay with that. But then when her fiance came home, she was all smiles instead of being all resentful and like, you know, get mad because he like threw his coat on the chair or something. Exactly. Exactly. So what's another skill? What else can women start to become ridiculously happy? Well, the second skill is to stop being too helpful. Mm -hmm. And um, what I mean by that, so I'll give you a story. Um, My student, Kathy Murray, uh, was the CFO of a large, prestigious private school. So she's really good at managing finance stuff. And she was trying to help her husband with that at home too, like manage, you know, their money because that's her area of expertise, but her marriage was in a bad way. They'd been sleeping in separate beds for six months. It was her second marriage. They had a blended family, yeah, okay. two kids each. And um, so she uh, had been going to counseling every week by herself for an hour a week to complain about Doug. 
<laughs> no one ever got happier that way, right? That doesn't work. And uh, she, they were on the verge of uh, divorce as well. And so she uh, got a hold of uh, my first book and she got this inkling like, oh my gosh, maybe there's something that I'm doing that's contributing to some of these problems. And, uh, and so one of the phrases uh, I talk about using in there is uh, whatever you think. That's one of the magical phrases. Ah. And so he came up to her and said, uh, you need to tell me what I should do about this cell phone bill because uh, we, we, we need a new plan, new cell phone plan. And so she decided to just start experimenting with it. She said, uh, and she's really nervous. And she said, whatever you think. And he was like, no, come on. I know you're going to get mad at me if I don't, uh, you know, do this the right way. Later on, it's going to come back to bite me. And he goes, no, I need you to tell me what to do. And she said, whatever you think. And then she added, I trust you. Right. Oh, and inside she was not. thinking, I hope he doesn't mess this up. I <laughs> but she just kind of acted as if. And so he went away and figured out the cell phone plan and he did fine. It was fine. Right. right. And deep down, he knew that the reason he had to ask her for that stuff is because he knew she didn't trust him. And so, uh, and there's nothing more disrespectful really than um, not trusting a grown man who, to be competent and make decisions like that. Yes. So um, he, he came to her later that day, that night, and he put his hand on her shoulder and said, you were so nice today and tears just started rolling down her cheeks. They slept in the same bed that night. She fired her counselor the next day. She came to train with me. That was 20 years ago. She still gets tears in her eyes now when she talks about how wonderful her marriage is and how tragic it would have been to throw it out. This man who's the love of her life, it turns out um, now that she has a few uh, new skills, like not being so helpful. She lets him decide, you know, how to drive, how to dress himself and a few things that for both of them, like cell phone plans and insurance and mortgage payments and things like that. So stop being too helpful is, uh, can be a tall order, uh, for someone like me, who's used to controlling micromanaging a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it, but it makes such a big difference. It does. And, you know, I love, I, I love that because personally, one of the things that we untangled during our affair recovery was how helpful in quotes, I always was and how disrespectful that was for him. Yes. Yeah. And it took me a lot to understand why is this disrespectful? I am getting the kids stuff together for you. Why is this disrespectful? I'm taking care of TurboTax and I'm, and all of a sudden it clicked and I thought, Oh my gosh, this poor man. How could I have not seen that? Yeah, because the, the subtext of all that, and I did the same thing, sadly, was um, you're not going to do it very well. And you're, in fact, you're not going to do it right. In fact, you're kind of an idiot. Yep. <laughs> it's the subject. And what could be more disrespectful than calling your husband an idiot? And it's like, well, I didn't call him an idiot, but I did these things. My actions spoke louder than words. Right. And I, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. And that, which brings us to the third skill, which is about, uh, restoring respect. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I got such a new set of glasses about what respect looked like when I went through this process in my marriage, just like you're describing Laura. So I really thought, well, I am respect. I knew you should be respectful. I knew that was part of it. Right. But I was like, I am respectful except for how he dresses and how he drives and what he eats. And, you know, like, I, I, so I was like, obviously I wasn't very respectful right. and I just didn't know it. Like fish are always the last ones to know they're in the ocean. Right. Yes. Cause you just swim around that way. What you do. Yeah. Yes. What you do. And so, um, and so one of the ways, so I'll tell you a story. Um, I was disrespectful as I would tell him what to do in his business. Uh, Cause he needed my, I, I mean, it's hilarious. I look back now, like I have, I've never been in his business. I don't know how to run that business. Right. But I just like had all this kind of, again, helpful information that I was going to give him. And so I remember, uh, and so I've been practicing the skills for over 20 years now. So you'd think I would know better, but I am not yet perfect. Okay. I'll let you know if that ever happens, but he took me out to dinner to this swanky restaurant on a Saturday night. The joints jump in, the waiters are flying, people are laughing at the bar. And we were just having this really nice time, having a great conversation. And he was saying something about one of his clients. And I made, I made a critical comment about that client. And the subtext was like, you shouldn't give priority to that client, right? There was a whole little hidden message there. 
And all of a sudden, I swear, Laura, like the music stopped, the people in the bars, you know, stopped, the waiters stopped, everything stopped. And my husband got this look on his face, like, because now he's used to being treated respectfully. And so I was, and I wasn't really interested in being accountable at that moment at all. I no, wasn't. No. So, but I, but I, so I sort of said, oh, I go, uh, w- was that disrespectful? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, oh, oh. And then I pulled out my magical phrase that felt like sawdust the first time I said it, but feels like honey in my mouth now. I said, I apologize for being disrespectful when I criticized your client. Yeah. And all of a sudden the music comes back on and the laughter starts and the waiters <laughs> and all of a sudden our good time is back. So instead of having this cold war, instead of it being a tense night out, instead of it being bickering for the rest of the night, but all I said was, blah, blah, blah. we are, our, our good time was back. We were able to be connected and happy and passionate. And uh, so it's, it's wonderful to have these magical phrases in my back pocket. There's like 20 of them that we use uh, that are so empowering. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it brings up to me this whole idea of, would you rather be right? Or would you rather be happy? (laughs) It does. It does. And what's hilarious about it is like, what the heck do I know about his client or his business? Right? Like, why do I really really need to? And, and one of the things that was astonishing to learn about this was um, that whenever I'm trying to control uh, or I'm being disrespectful, really, it just means I'm afraid I'm afraid of something. So when I pulled that one apart and kind of unpacked, it's like, what am I afraid of? Oh, I'm afraid that they're not going to pay him on time. And then, so, well, what is it? What does that matter? Well, then I'm going to have to go with something that I really want. I'm going to have to go without something that I want in the future. That's my fear, right? So it's probably not a super realistic fear, but that's my fear. And and it's just kind of, I mean, sometimes the fear might be realistic. That one is not a good example of a realistic fear, but, um, and then you always get to decide, like, would I rather have try to control this situation or would I rather have the intimacy because they're like light and dark. You can have one, or, but or not the other. other. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting around that too, is that whole trying to control. Usually it's something that we can't control. And no, there's an illusion. It's just an illusion. <laughs> yeah. 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 And the, and so the really empowering part gets from, comes from, I call it getting back on my paper, like, oh, I'm worried about something on his paper. Well, it was really interesting because my life was going by uh, uneventfully while I was focusing all my energy on what he should do and how he should dress and what he should yeah. eat for lunch. And do you know, when I was able to fix that part and just kind of really focus back on my paper, on what, what does Laura need and how does Laura feel and what do I want? Do you know my life emerged? I was able to write a New York Times bestselling book. I made a TV show on Amazon Prime. I started an international relationship coaching organization and you know I got to go on Dateline the Today Show. And yeah, those were terrifying things to do. Those are all terrifying things to do. And so it was much easier to be the armchair quarterback of his life than it was to show up and be courageous for my own life. So no wonder I was just like focused over there. I was, I didn't feel brave. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of fun to think what might emerge for your life, right? If you get off of your husband's paper, I call it like, you know, if you start really focusing on your paper. Yeah. No, that's a great example. And also what you might free them up to do because you're absolutely right. Men do want to make women happy. I mean, we want to make men, we all want to make people happy. We all want to be in good relationships. So if you get off your husband's paper and you're doing you and he's doing him, he might have even better ideas for you that you never saw coming. Exactly. It is it is so staggering because I, I used to be responsible for like 90% of everything around here, like you know, paying the bills, the cars getting maintained, the housework, the, all that stuff, right? And now uh, in the, the after picture, like he does 90% of everything. And I just like, I'm the prince. I'm like a Disney princess that lives here and he does the dishes. I mean, it's, it's astonishing how much he just wanted me to be happy and he's willing to go to the ends of the earth to do that. And a lot of women, my students will come and say, yeah, well, my husband's not like that. And I'm like, let's try through these things and then we'll find out. And they're really happy to find out they were wrong. He has that hero gene too. And once they know how to trigger it, 
mm-hmm. you know, just watch out, keep your seatbelt on. Yeah. And what I love about what you just said too, what I hear so often with the women that I work who are dealing with betrayal is how do I know I need to give up my all. I need to just give it one more chance. Well, if you use your intimacy skills and give it one more chance, then you will know. You will yes. know, hey, hero gene is there. We got into a really bad place or now this doesn't work at all. You will That's know. Right. So That's right. That's right. No, this is the answer. You've got the answer. How do you know? Use these, st- use these steps. <laughs> use these skills. I've worked for tens of thousands of women before you. And, um, but I think there, it is really normal to feel like, yeah, but it won't work for me this time. This one's different, right? I, I, we did a, we asked in a group coaching session the other day, like who feels like their situation's kind of terminally unique and like, this may not work or whatever. And like every hand's like, I've got a thing. Mine's mine. This, no, this one's really different. Cause he is a narcissist or he is whatever, right. He's an alcoholic or, and, um, I'm just, I'm so pleased to report. I've never seen the intimacy skills fail for a woman who, um, it's sort of like saying, you know, exercise didn't work for me, right? It's just, uh, yeah. Yeah, it will. So what is the fourth intimacy skill? Oh, so the fourth one is uh, vulnerability. Mm. And so this is where um, instead of, so I know for me, like I spent a lot of time fighting city hall, right? I think I might've been a Karen, if I'm honest, where I would like, let's, you know, let me speak to the manager. <laughs> and, uh, and there were like hapless bank tellers and sales clerks. And, and then also my husband, where I would just um, felt like I, I had to uh, get my way by steamrolling. That was the way I was going to do it. I was going to tell people how things should be, what they needed to be. And uh, what's been so interesting with my husband Um, like, let's say, uh, he hurts my feelings, which, you know, I thought that that wouldn't happen. You know, if you're really happy in your marriage, that's not going to happen. Well, guess what? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm married 32 years to the love of my life. And once in a while he still hurts my feelings. And it's kind of like kids when they're playing together, they just get bruised or scratched and, and nobody intends it, but it's just when you live so close together. And, uh, so when I used to get hurt, I would either say, Hey, uh, you know, you're being a jerk right now. Right. Or you, you just hurt my feelings. And, uh, well, I, I probably didn't even say you just hurt my feelings. That would have been even a little bit vulnerable at least. Yeah. And now, um, what I'll do, and I just don't have to do it that much, but is I'll just I'll use one word. I'll just say, ouch. I just say, ouch. And, and so what I'm doing is again, just kind of owning it for me. Like, maybe he didn't intend to, right? Like when somebody cuts you off in traffic, you know, they didn't get up that morning going, I'm going to cut you off in traffic. No, they just missed their exit or they just didn't check their blind spot or whatever. They didn't mean to, but it's scary, right? It can be like, oh my gosh, you almost made me die. Uh, And so you have this reaction. So it's just me saying, ouch, doesn't mean you did something necessarily. Maybe you did, but maybe not. But I got ouched. But it's just amazing to see, like, when I used to say, like, why, why would you say something like that? Or, you know, come back with that kind of response. Uh, it would start a fight. And now when I say, ouch, oh my gosh, the guy is so quick. Like, oh, I, 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 I didn't want to ouch you. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean, I was, I, I was kidding, but that was inappropriate. Yeah. That was me. Gosh, I, he's so accountable now. And I'm like, oh, that's what I always wanted. Right. So um, that's just one example. A- another one would be like, um, just to, uh, instead of telling him, you know, you need to spend time with me, um, to get to that happy place, right. Where I'm that dancing, singing, you know, smiling, yep. laughing woman that he fell in love with. And then just be like, Oh, I miss you. And it could just be like, we're both, you know, got a lot going on or whatever. And I just didn't see last night or the night before really, but you know, I saw you while we were brushing our teeth kind of thing. I miss yeah. you. Or it could be that we're, you know, my students will use it when they're separated or, uh, and that's just so attractive. It's like a compliment wrapped into vulnerability. Yes. Yeah. And, and it ties right into that third step of restoring respect. It's not, you did this to me. How dare you? Every single time I say this, you it, always, yeah, right. Yeah. It's just an ouch. And, and let me tell you, it feels so dignified when you get ahead of that dignity, too, yeah. it's like, I didn't hear myself screeching complaining, criticizing, yelling. Oh my gosh. It's so much more pleasant to be around myself now that I don't do that anymore. Right. Rarely do that anymore. So, I mean, I still do that sometimes, but not very rarely. But 
but we're human. We're human. Yeah. We're as far as I know, like I'll send you a postcard if I ever get perfect at it. But exactly. Yeah. It's nice to have a, to know what to reach for in that moment. Right. If I hear myself starting to get that little shrillness in my voice, um, I know that's a good sign, right? It's like, Hey, well, how do I feel? What do I want? Oh, yeah. and what, what's happening here? Oh, I, that was an ouch. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to use ouch. Yeah. And again, I think that that kind of goes into that vulnerability of I'm not perfect. I am getting shrill. This is getting weird. Something is going on for me that maintains the dignity that maintains the respect too. It's just, I'm vulnerably falling apart right now. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I was doing that recently. I was all upset about, um, being menopausal, actually. (laughs) I was like, this is such a bummer. I didn't used to have night sweats or whatever. And I was, um, just kind of sad about my lost youth, I guess. And, um, and I was crying and I had read him all the symptoms of menopause. And then he said, um, yeah, he goes, uh, yeah, you're having the mood swings that you're right. You know? And I, I mean, I was like, ah! it's not pretty, but, um, but actually, you know, he did that to make me laugh. Cause I was, I was sad. And that was his way of, he was yeah. wanting to comfort. Right. So, yeah. so I got over it pretty quick and, and then, then we were laughing together again, but you're right. There was like a vulnerability in that, in those tears, because there was no criticism of him. Uh, and sometimes I think that's a difference. People, women will say, my husband hates it when I cry. Well, he hates it if you cry and it's because of what you did, right? Uh, that's a big distinction. So, yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I was thinking that same thing too. My husband and I had, I wouldn't even say a fight because it, it wasn't really a fight, but we were having one of those stressful moments last week where neither of us were really saying what was going on. And it wasn't until we, with respect, were vulnerable. I'm really stressed out. I've got a TEDx coming up next month and I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling prepared. And like, it's bringing up, thank you. It's bringing up all these vulnerabilities. And it's like, I don't want to put that on him. But once I finally had my little, okay, this is what's really going down. He wanted to serve me. He wanted to help me. He wanted to take care of me. And I didn't give him the chance to do that because step two, I was being too helpful. Too I was helpful. taking care of everybody like, else. Let me just get it all done. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it's just, these steps are they're in woven throughout our lives in so many areas. Yeah, they really are. And they do apply to all your relationships. Yeah. It started, started out in my marriage, but, um, gosh, now I use my phrases with everyone that I love and and even contractors or like team members, like everybody. So, yeah. I love it. So what is the next step? What is step number five? It is, uh, something I used to be terrible at, which is, um, you know, when like somebody would say, Oh, your hair looks great today. You know, I'd be like, Oh no, don't look at it. I haven't washed it or right. Uh, and I call it receiving, receiving graciously. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, not just compliments, it's gifts, help, special treatment, apologies, right. If somebody, um, or, you know, a friend will say, Hey, let me, let me buy you a cup of coffee. You know, I'll pay, I'll treat you for coffee. And you're like, Oh no, I've got it. Right. And so much more with our husbands. Like I remember my husband would say, like, I'd wake up in the morning and go, you look so beautiful. And I was like, no, shut up. Like, stop it. Right. And it's because I was uncomfortable. It's because I felt squishy inside. I didn't like, (laughs) I didn't want, I was like, oh no, that doesn't match my impression of myself right now. Uh, So there was, it was incongruent. And so what I've learned to do is just, uh, here's the cheat phrase for that. You ready? Yeah. You just say, thank you. And that's it. (laughs) So, or my husband would get me a gift and it wasn't quite what I wanted. So I would say, oh, this is really nice, but you know, I wanted um, a pink one or whatever. Right. It's like, you know, actually for that, I could just go to the mall and I could get my, right. Or I could go to Amazon and get it myself. But if I can receive graciously, like the man uh, thought about what I would want and maybe it's, Hey, maybe it's a swing and a miss, but Hey, it was, um, he was thinking about me. This reflects his love. I want to, I don't want to miss the chance to receive that. And sometimes I just need, you know, to let it be that this is broadening my horizons a little bit. Yeah. I wouldn't have bought it for myself because I'm just myself, but I'm with him 
to have this other experience of that's broader than just what I think about for myself. And so and that's been just magical because once you receive graciously, um, that's also a part of triggering their hero gene. Cause then they go, oh my gosh, I can make her happy. Look, I'm going to get her, you know, I'm going to get her flowers more. Or I had said things like, don't get me flowers. That's just a waste. They die so fast. You know, it's like, well, no, actually I would love to have flowers. <laughs> and so I had, to un I had to undo that. And the way to uh, do that is be by becoming a gracious receiver. Yeah. And you know, in the infidelity space, one of the things that you hear all the time is, you know, the mistress was not in real life. How can I compete with that? How can I compete with somebody who doesn't have kids, doesn't blah, 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 blah. Again, not to simplify because all relationships are different, but so often the mistress is triggering the hero gene. Absolutely. And you know, that is completely true. We, we have a little expression like a, a, a wife with the intimacy skills trumps a mistress every day of the week and twice on Sundays. We say that a lot because, wow. because you know what eventually happens is that mistress also becomes controlling, right? Because at first she's just receptive and then she's like, wait, you still live with your wife? I don't like that. I want you to move out or, what, or whatever. Are you still, oh, you still have to communicate with her. Well, you better get divorced, right? And she starts kind of putting her um, foot on the pedal of like, hurry this up or, and then the, if the wife has now got the intimacy skills and she's all smiles and gratitude and receptivity, yeah. uh, oh my gosh, it's just like, yeah, it's the most compelling thing ever. Yeah. So here's my question. I a hundred percent believe in all of this 100% because I've lived it <laughs> because I've yeah. done it because I know it. I totally get it. And there's sometimes that tension between, but I am a strong, smart, capable person. You know, I'm a former attorney. I create That's things. Right. That's right. That's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. How that do you is... manage that tension sometimes? I mean, that's such a great point. Cause that there's no dumbing down with the intimacy skills, right? Your brain is always there. You always get to use it whenever you want. And sometimes, you know, a lot of times I am uh, doing that equation. Like, is it worth the intimacy? It's going to cost me to be controlling in this situation. And sometimes the answer is like, yeah, right now I really want to tell him to turn right. So he doesn't miss his exit because, because yes. I want to be on time. It's like super important right now. So I'm going to, and fortunately I've got a lot of emotional safety in the bank and that kind of a decision once in a while is, doesn't really cost me. So yeah. it's, it's really great. But, um, you know, I feel like I never, I never had to stop being a spark plug. I never had to stop. I had to stop being the goddess of Wikipedia who knows everything and tells everybody <laughs> what they should do all the time, but it didn't, I never had to, um, dumb down. And I, I think the distinction too, is, um, you know, one of the things that I learned in this process was about expressing my desires in a way that inspires. And so, um, and there's a sad, sad story about, um, our first romantic getaway to Hawaii. My husband took me to Hawaii wow. on a trip. And I was super excited. Cause I was like, Oh, we're going to go to the beach. It's gonna be so much fun. And then on the first day I said, um, instead of saying, I want to go to the beach. I said, uh, what do you want to do? And he goes like, he goes, let's go see a volcano. And I was like, Oh, a volcano. Okay. You know, but I'm like, I didn't want to cause conflict. So I thought, yeah. Let me just suck it up and go see this volcano. And then maybe we'll go, you know, we'll go to the beach tomorrow or whatever. Anyway, so um, we're in the rental car driving towards the volcano and you don't see it for a long time. It's kind of a long drive. You see little molten rocks and that's about it. And so I started to think like, God, this is a, this is a way he, this, I don't, and he could tell something. So he's like, is, is everything okay? And I go, did you think this was going to be fun? Cause I don't think it's fun at all. I think it's stupid. You didn't even ask me what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to the beach. And if you want to even ask, you weren't there already. So yeah. he saw a volcano, not the kind he had intended. Yep. You know, the woman yep. he'd taken on this romantic getaway. And do you know what he did after that? He after I behaved that badly, he took me to the beach as soon as he found out what I wanted, but you know, I couldn't enjoy it. I had this total emotional hangover and I just feel so sad for that earlier version of myself. who didn't know how to say what she desired because you can't say what you desire. You are never going to get what you desire. No. And yeah. so, um, and I learned this again, even with, um, the dishes, I used to say to him, um, this kitchen is a disaster. And I thought I was telling him what I wanted. 
I thought I was saying, will you clean the kitchen? You know, but I wasn't, I was just complaining. He didn't even, he would just turn up the TV. So he, he couldn't hear me. I think it was like the peanuts people where you just hear, you know, he'd yeah. be on, wah, 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 wah. that's all I could hear. And so finally, um, one day I got clear on my desire and I just said, I would love a clean kitchen. And that's a potent formula for expressing your desires. I would love. And then the final outcome. And he said, okay, I'll do, I'll wash the dishes. And he did. And that was 20 years ago. I have not done the dishes ever since he does them every day. I don't have to ask. He does them with a smile. I'm very grateful. I express wow. all kinds of gratitude and, um, he just knows it makes his wife happy. Once he knew what I wanted, yeah. he was happy to give it to me. Yes. So it's not that I don't have an opinion about things, not that I don't get to say what's, what's, you know, what I want. In fact, that is what that's incumbent on me. Um, in fact, I always feel desire is the seat of a woman's power. Like that's the core of her power. Yeah. Is getting in touch with those desires, being willing to honor them. Sometimes it's scary. Exactly. But you're right. You have to get in touch with it in order to ask for it. Yeah. So, yeah. So what is that sixth intimacy step? It's, um, well, I'll tell you what it is. It's, uh, for, for it's gratitude. So let me just say that first. It's yeah. gratitude. Then it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. We all know we're supposed to be thankful. Okay. Got it. Great. But um, the, like I said, I love specific uh, actions. So you know yes. if you're doing it or not, and you can kind of yes. give yourself a check mark. So there's two, two specific ways that we apply gratitude on our campus. And one of them is, um, I'll tell you a story about Isabella. I asked her uh, for the week, she was, I said, how would it be for you to give your husband three gratitudes a day for all the things that he does to make your life easier? Mm -hmm. And she said, well, first of all, I do everything around the house. So I don't know what I'm going to thank him for. And second of all, he's not thanking me. So I don't see why I should do this. So she was not really excited to do this exercise, but she agreed like, fine. I enrolled in this class. I guess, you know, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so they got to the second day. I've got a little tickle and, um, she thanked him for working hard to support the family. She thanked him for watching the baby while she went to Zumba class. And she thanked him for taking out the trash. So just simple, ordinary yeah. things. <laughs> and then the next day they were sitting down to dinner. She got to two days and he said, you've really taught me that we need to appreciate each other more. And I want to thank you for making dinner. So she just about fell out of her chair. Love that it. was such a transformation. So that's one way is to just really be conscious and writing down the things that he does to enrich your life and to mention them to yeah. him three things a day. But the other way that we do the, the gratitude exercise is with this spouse fulfilling prophecy, hmm, very like powerful way to do this. <laughs> and this is the art of counting your blessings instead of counting your curses. Right. So, and the way I learned about it was from Lee Miltier who years ago, she was on Nightingale Conan. I you remember those mm -hmm. old tapes and stuff. And she was teaching a course on the power of auto suggestion, which is where you say to yourself, I have a successful business. I, I gave a wonderful yeah. TED talk, right? I, okay. I ran a marathon, even if it's not true yet. So she um, taught this course and this woman came to it and realized that she had been auto-suggesting some negative things to her husband. So it's not auto, right? It was yes. suggesting. And she decided I'm going to change that up because this is really not serving me anymore. So she went home and um, she, the complaint was that he always lost his temper. So she just went home. She said, I'm, next time he loses his temper, I'm going to say, that's not like you to lose your temper. Well, I'm just going to see how it goes. <laughs> I'll just experiment. So she went home. She waited. She didn't have to wait that long. He lost his temper. And she said, that's not like you to lose your temper. And he just looked at her funny, like, what are you talking about? But he didn't argue with her, but their 12 year old son said, yes, it is mom. He always loses his temper because who had he been oh, listening to? Right. Funny. She'd already oh, kind of enrolled him in that, but she stuck to her guns. She's like, I got nothing to lose here. Cause this is, I'm not enjoying it this other way. So I'm just going right. to keep doing this a little while later, they were out to dinner. And the service was slow and the husband started to fume. He's like, I'm going to call the manager over here. I have a good mind. Tell him how long we've been waiting. I mean, how long we've been waiting? We ordered, you know, 20 minutes ago. And then he stopped himself and he goes, you know, that's not like me to lose my temper, is it? And so she I nearly love it. fell out of her floor too. 
yeah, yeah out of her chair too. Yeah. So we, that's what we do around here. We use this spouse fulfilling prophecy. I had one wife whose husband was um, like a chronic, a very heavy drinker. Uh, she thought he was an alcoholic. She was calling mm -hmm. him an alcoholic. And she's like, God, it's not serving me to have a spouse fulfilling prophecy. You're an alcoholic, right? You should right. stop drinking. Uh, she told him many times. So you got, you got to stop drinking. You got to cut back on your drinking. This is ruining your health. And you're just a jerk when you drink. And she'd done all of that. Right. Of course, it, he said, fine. I'm going to drink some more. Right. Cause that's, that's human nature. So she, um, Anyway, so she decided to start saying to him and to herself uh, that she was grateful that he was just a, a, a light drinker, a moderate drinker. He's a moderate yeah. drinker. Yeah. And so she even said to him, you know, I really appreciate that you're such a moderate drinker. And she thought he was going to be like, what, what are you talking about? And he goes, he looked at it like, oh, finally you get me. Yeah. And she went around gathering evidence for it. This is what we do. We gather the evidence. She's like, well, he never drinks and drives and he doesn't drink as much as uh, that other guy, that friend that comes over sometimes that guy gets, you know, he doesn't drink as right. much as him. So she was able to find evidence like he's responsible as a drinker. He's a moderate drinker. Yes. So then not too long afterwards, they were on a cruise and uh, it was, they both, they got two drink tickets a piece at this port of call in Mexico. And, but for 20 bucks, you could upgrade to unlimited drinks for the rest of the day. And she thought, well, he's definitely going to upgrade of course it's only 20 bucks right. we wouldn't do that and um but they came around and he goes no no we're, we're good with our two drink tickets and she goes why didn't you upgrade and he goes well i think two drinks that's enough don't you think isn't that fabulous she couldn't believe it like she was having a completely different experience because what you focus on increases absolutely absolutely and i think that is especially powerful for the listeners because they're in a stressful point in their marriage. The more stressful it is, the more you focus on what's making it stressful and to be able to focus on where, you know, we're healing, we're growing, we're increasing our intimacy. I mean, just like that, if all you do is focus on, we are increasing our intimacy. That's what yes. Yes. And, um, I know, I know one of the things that a lot of students will struggle with is there's this enormous temptation, right? To it's more tempting than a Cinnabon to just go and focus on the other woman, right? A lot of times it's like, you want to shop for pain, like look at her social media or check his phone. And, um, and what we find is like, you can actually, you can starve her of oxygen by yeah. not focusing on her at all. And it is crazy how we hear time and time again, you know, as soon as I stop giving that any oxygen, she's gone. She's gone. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to your very first step, doing what makes you happy, dancing, singing, having fun. Doesn't matter what somebody else does. It's your paper. Focus on your paper. That's right. And the, and the checking up on what's happening with her is, is always the counterfeit, right? It's never satisfying. It never really feels good afterwards once you no. know something about her like oh she's not even pretty or whatever right like there's just right. there's no real benefit to it there's just overcoming that temptation and that's where having the community of like-minded women who are standing for you can be just like irreplaceable right so precious. Oh, absolutely yeah that support we absolutely need that yeah. so where can listeners learn more about you the community your new york times best-selling book any of that, where can they find that? We have something really fun going on right now at lauradoyle.org. You can download the free adored wife roadmap. So this is how to become an adored wife. So you feel special and desired and taken care of. Uh, and it lays out this, those six steps. It also uh, talks about the three mistakes that a lot of wives are making, trying to get their husband's time, attention, and affection. The ones that I was certainly making and so many uh, of my students are making too, right? Yeah. Me too, me too. Uh, so, so I would say for sure, go and get that. It's absolutely free to go download that at lauradoyle.org or .com. Perfect. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your amazing time and also for going through this on behalf of women everywhere. Thank you for making the mistakes and then figuring out how to correct it. <laughs> so we can all say, yep, she did it. Now I can do it too. 
Well, it's like Maya Angelou says, I wouldn't take nothing for my journey now. I'm so happy to be, uh, I'm happy with where it's led. And I'm even happy to embrace those old painful experiences. We don't let that pain go to waste on our campus, right? You use it to pay it forward, to help other women uh, stop, stop struggling in their marriages also. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Laura. You're welcome. And listeners, go grab that roadmap. It's going to be definitely helpful. And as usual, have an amazing week and always remember to flaunt all that you are because who you are is always more than enough. Wait a minute. Before you go on, I've got something for you that you are going to love. It's the Sparkle After Betrayal Recovery Guide a downloadable guide that shows you exactly how to untangle yourself from the past, powerfully reclaim your sexy, and re-choreograph your future one step at a time. The best part? It's free! And downloading it gives you access to our monthly support calls as well. What are you waiting for? Break out of the pain and get your sparkle on today. Go to Naked selfworth.com. That's www.nakedselfworth.com and get your guide today. Tune in next time to Flaunt, Find Your Sparkle, and Create a Life You Love After Infidelity or Betrayal with radio host and live choreographer Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Develop naked self-worth and reclaim your confidence, enthusiasm, and joy so you can create a life you love and embrace who you are today. Download your free Sparkle Through Betrayal Recovery Guide at NakedSelfWorth.com. 